Hi there, my name's Matt. Uh, I'm one of the leaders here at Hope City. It's my privilege to get to teach this morning and to speak to you about what we think the Bible has to say to us. Now, as we go, if questions come up that you'd like to ask, um, you can use Slider, the same platform we use for prayer, just to pop questions in. The good thing about doing that is, first, they're anonymous, so you can ask anything without needing to worry about it. Second, um, you can ask questions when they occur to you rather than trying to hang on to them to the end. And third, you can see what other people are asking, and at the end, we'll vote, and we'll pick the most popular questions, and Pat and I will have a go at responding to them, just so you know what's going on. So I want to start this morning by talking about competing desires, competing desires. So um, do you get up in the morning or do you sleep in in the morning? There's the competing desire I want to start with. Do you get up in the morning or sleep in? Now, normally it's law for me. I have to get up, got to get the kids to school. You know, it's... um, People would talk if we didn't get up and get the kids to school. It would be slightly awkward. Um, But I had a moment of freedom last week um, because I went to the U.S. on a short trip. I had the opportunity to speak to around um, 40 church planters from across the U.S. I know many of you are praying for that, and thank you very much. Because of your prayers, they all survived. Um, I went on for like nearly three hours, but most of them you know, still seem to have the will to live at the end of the session, which was good. I had two desires while I was there in the States. Desire number one was... There's no breakfast, there's no coffee, I could just um, sleep in. No one's expecting anything from me until it's morning in America, which is like well into the afternoon here. I could have the easiest morning ever, and yes, I am tired. I would like to sleep in. This could work really well. Desire number two, I need to return well. This is a super short trip. Uh, It's hard for me to be away, places a burden on my family. If I slip into American time... When I try and come back, I'm never going to be able to get out of bed in the morning. It's just not going to happen. Two competing desires. Which one do you think I went with? 4 a.m., baby. Every day I was up before 4 a.m. in America, which I was, I was very pleased with. And as a result, I'm able to wake up this morning and be here too. So life is full of these competing desires, like internal wrestling matches. I'd love to tell you it was a total walkover. I never thought about it. When the alarm went off before 4, I was like... But the truth is, the alarm goes off before four. You're like, what am I doing? It is dark. There is no coffee. I could, right? It it is a struggle. I'm wrestling with my pillow. Now, today we are heading on into the next section of um, Galatians, which is a short letter in the Bible that we've been looking at. It's called Galatians because written to a group of churches in an area that used to be called Galatia, um, today Turkey. And um, we're, we're taking this letter slow because there's so much in here, so much to think about and talk about. There's so much, in fact, that we could go even slower than we're going to. Um, If you were with us last week, we read about competing desires inside Christians. The Bible teaches us, although something's happened when you become a Christian, although God's Holy Spirit comes to live within you, there's still a competition with the darker things our old human nature still desires. There's still a conflict. Here's what we read last week. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you're not to do whatever you want. There's this conflict inside of you if you're a follower of Jesus. Now, today's passage picks up the story, and it picks it up with two lists reflecting what flows out of those two completing sources of desire inside of us. And I think... um, 
Well, let's read together first. I think Cameron's going to be reading for us today. Ruth is out with COVID, who is our scheduled reader. Um, So let's just take a a moment just now. Actually, I know there are millions of people dealing with COVID just now. Let's pray for those who are suffering really quick. Father God, we want to pray for all those people um, who are suffering with COVID just now, who are fighting. Uh, Some we know, many we don't. Uh, Lord, we pray you'd have compassion and mercy that they would be restored to health soon. Amen. Okay, Cameron, over to you. So Galatians 5, chapter 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Thanks, Cameron. Double duty, triple duty this morning. Quadruple duty, the man who can play bongos, drums, sing, and do a Bible reading in one day. Got to give that guy some credit. Good catch. Now, that list of the fruit of the Spirit that we've got up on the screen here, that's, um, that's a pretty famous bit of the Bible. It's pretty well known, but it's set out in contrast to another list that we don't spend so much time looking at or thinking about, the sort of things that our old human nature tends to naturally produce. Well, here's what I want you to notice this morning, and here's what we're going to spend our time on. Although these two lists reflect two different competing desires, they are not direct opposites, right? They're not like this sort of you know, mirror image up and down. They're not perfect reflections of each other. You know, one pulls left, the other pulls right. They're 180 degrees apart. That's not quite right because, see, one of those started with sexual immorality. Well, what does the mirror list start with? Sexual purity, right? But that's not what we got. We got love. And one list had witchcraft in it. What's the kind of opposite to witchcraft, or maybe it's the worship of God or something like that. But we didn't get that in the other list either. It's no mirror list. These are two lists of two fundamentally different things. One, there's the first one, is a list of acts. It's a list of things we do, kind of outward stuff. And then there's a list of um, what it calls fruit, right, which is a little bit abstract. It's a, a metaphor, a word picture. But if we're trying to define the sort of thing in that list, love, joy, peace, what sorts of things are those? Well, you might use words like character, or you might think of it as virtue. It's more about who we are than what we do in that second list, right? It's more about who we are than what we do. Now, why is that the case? Right, we've had this... Last week, we heard about the competition between two desires that are in conflict with each other. So why don't we get an exact list of opposites here? Why don't we get such a clear conflict? The answer, I think, is our author highlighting a big piece of truth for us, and it is that God is about changing who we are on the inside, not just what we do on the outside. God's about changing who we are on the inside not just about changing what's on the outside. And that's the big thing we're going to be exploring together today, that the Bible's vision for the outward Christian life, for the way we act, 
Well, that flows out of our inward character and our inward change. It's inside of us that God is at work. That's what he is changing. So before we dive in, as I was preparing, it occurred to me, we should take one further step back. Before we kind of think about this idea about God working on us to change us, we should think, is internal change actually okay? Is it actually good? Should we try and change what we are on the inside in the first place? Is that a good idea? Well, on the one hand, there are just one bazillion self-improvement books on the market, aren't there? Like enough to fill an entire library. So there's a lot of people willing to pay money for insight into how they can change. They'll go and see coaches to tell them how they can change. There's a whole industry built about changing who you are. But on the other hand, there's lots of talk about being true to yourself, right? Be who you are not what the world wants you to be. The really important thing, lots of voices in our world say, is take what's inside of you, the real you, the true inside you, and make sure that comes out. Don't try and change it. Changing it would be a terrible thing. That would be to deny who you are. That would be like oppression. So should our goal, to, uh, our goal be be who you are on the inside? Or should our goal be to change who you are on the inside? Is our problem more that the world around us squeezes us into being somebody other than who we're truly meant to be? Or is our problem that try as we might, we just can't stop who we are leaking out, oozing out of us in ways we don't like, ways that hurt others, ways that damage those we love? Things would be so much better if we could truly change. I guess it's a very personal question. So I want to ask you, Would it be good for you just to truly be yourself, to let it all hang out, to kind of be who you are inside? Or for you, are there inside things inside of you that you want to fight, things you wish you could change? Everyone's got to answer that question for themselves. Only you know who you really are inside if if anyone does at all. Now, speaking for myself, I know inside of me, I know what's inside of me, at least some of it, and uh, I know there are things I want to fight. I know there are things that are wrong there. That's certainly the Bible's view of humanity. The Bible talks about humanity as something that is broken. That there are things inside each one of us that should not come out. That's the Bible's explanation for the mess that our world is in today. All too often the darkness inside us has come out. Uh, I think it's a pretty compelling explanation. And if you're willing at least even just to entertain that answer, that the problem with our world is us, that we should try and do something to change what's inside, just for the next few minutes, then our next question is, well, how do you do that, right? If that's the problem, what's the solution? If the issue is what's inside, how do you change what's inside? Now, it's very, very common to start from the outside and try and work your way in. I had a quick Google of how to grow impatience. I looked at a bunch of people's different steps for how you could become more patient. And um, the, the key thing from the articles I skimmed, the number one top thing was practice. How you grow impatient is simply by being patient. They said, make rules for yourself to enforce patience in small things, like let one car merge ahead of you today. And if you keep doing that, if you keep working on the outside, you'll change what's on the inside. Well, I have to say, I'm a big fan of self-improvement stuff. If you've seen my bookshelf, you'll know there are lots of things on there that lean in this sort of direction. I think there are helpful things we can say about that. I think we can make some progress. I think we can do better when we try. 
we can begin to develop better habits. But I guess the problem is, if you're anything like me, these habits are so hard to build, so easy to lose. Why are habits so hard to build and so easy to lose? It's because what's inside has still not changed. The default lean of what's inside us still points in the wrong direction. Does that kind of make sense? Now, during these last few months, as we talked and studied our way through this letter, through Galatians, we talked about the Jewish Torah lots. That is the, the huge set of rules God gave the Jewish nation, telling them how to live. Now, could that or something like that really ever change what's going on inside? Could that be a solution, something focused on the outside, focused on what we do? Could that ultimately recalibrate who we are on the inside? Well, the answer of the book we've been reading is no. That's the clear answer of this book. The Jewish law doesn't solve that fundamental root problem, that fundamental kind of twist inside of us. That we're not right, we're not what we should be. It doesn't change the fact that our, our default setting, our default operating mode is not reliably towards the good, the right, the true. Now, laws and rules can limit the damage. They constrain that warped nature. Laws and rules can show us the problem. They can say, you're out of keeping. This is the wrong way. You are not going the right way. But there are no solution. Rules don't change hearts. I thought I had a slide for that, but I forgot to make it. So you can imagine a slide that says, rules don't change hearts, because that was my cunning plan. This idea that a focus on external acts isn't enough to deliver internal change, right? Something we think we read in the book of Galatians, but it's not just that. Think about Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, who are the super religious rule keepers of his days. They were unbelievably scrupulous about keeping their Jewish law. On the outside, they looked seriously impressive. If obedience could change what was going on inside, it would have done it for them. Now, when they're surprised, Jesus and his disciples don't make as big a deal of these rules as they do. Here's what Jesus has to say to them. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish. Inside, they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish. Then the outside will be clean too. That that outside act, all that washing, the kind of touch-up paint we can put put on the outside of us, the rules we give ourselves to try and contain our behavior, they don't change anything, really. What really matters is what's inside, and that's what's going to keep finding it's out. What's inside is where true change flows from. Any lasting and true change to a person, any true transformation, we might say, is inside out rather than outside in. Right? Transformation is inside out rather than outside in. So how do you pursue an inside out transformation? How do you have change that doesn't start with your actions, change that starts with who we are? How is it that you can change who you are inside? Like, why do we think that's even possible? Rules don't change hearts. So what does? Well, the letter we're studying, Galatians, has told us the only solution is this inside-out transformation. It tells us the transformation starts with joining a new family. A few weeks back, we read this. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, that's Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem, that's to rescue or buy back, those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. And then it goes on and says, because you are his sons... God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, 
fathers. So through God's son, Jesus, the Bible tells us we can join this new family. We can join Jesus's family. And then it says as members of God's family, we've got real hope for an inside-out transformation. The game has changed because God himself, God the Holy Spirit, has come to live inside of us. We've got these new desires competing with our old desires. Now, reading today those two lists, really that's the problem spelled out and the solution spelled out. That the problem is the actions that come from what's inside of us. And the solution is inner change, a renewed inner self. God's spirit is growing that inside of every true follower of Jesus. That's the Bible's kind of bold claim. God is actually changing us from the inside out. Now, there's loads in that passage. We could dig into details. We could look at specific acts. We could look at those virtues. Um, there's lots to do and say and think about each one of those virtues. But really, I want to keep us at the top level. I think the big point for us here is that it's internal change, change to who we are. That is God's solution to the external problems of our world. And the question we like to ask every week is, well, so what? Okay, so if you accept that argument, or if you're willing to explore that argument that we need this inside change from God, so, so what? Uh, if you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. I know it's a, uh, an odd thing coming to church, and when you do it a lot, you don't kind of notice how odd it is, uh, but when you only pop in from time to time, like, it can be really weird, so thanks for putting up with our weirdness. Um, that virtue list, love, joy, peace, patience, things like that, I expect that's not very controversial. I mean, looking further back, you can find lists that look a lot like that written by even more ancient writers. We're reading something from maybe the first century uh, AD. You can find this sixth century BC from Aristotle. I don't think there's much debate really in our world about whether self-control is really a good thing that we would like to have. The big question is, how do you get it? I don't think there's much disagreement about what virtues are. The question is how you develop them. How do we pursue inside-out change? How can we do that? Do you feel like you really can do that? Or is it actually impossible? Have you ever tried to change yourself? who you are inside, and how's that gone for you? I, I remember very clearly, before becoming a Christian, choosing to try and change myself, being dissatisfied with who I was and the actions that came out of who I was inside, and trying to change that. And do you know what? I didn't do very well. I didn't make it very far. I think we can make tweaks and twiddles, but I couldn't wholesale change. So I want you to think about, can you change? Have you changed? How would you go about that? The other thing I want to ask you to do if you're here with us and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus is if you know somebody who is, test this. Is it true? If what I'm saying the Bible teaches us is true, that they have a sort of superpower, this ability to begin to change from the inside out, have you seen any evidence of that? Now, it's really important to say here, I'm not claiming that Christians are the nicest people around because um, we're not at the end of the day. I know some fantastic non-Christians who are far nicer than I am. I doubt I'll ever get that far. And they'd have nothing to do with Jesus. Um, I know many of the Christians around us are pretty lousy, pretty messed up. We can be wrong. But what I'm saying is, 
in the Christians around you, I hope you'll find that there is this power to change. John Newton, um, he wrote a famous hymn, Amazing Grace. He puts it this way. He says, uh, I'm not what I ought to be. So he's got that recognition. I'm not what I want to be. He's got that desire. I'm not what I hope to be in another world. He thinks he's going to get there. But then this is the really interesting line for us. I'm still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm not what I used to be. So that's my kind of challenge to you is if you know somebody who claims to follow Jesus, are they not what they used to be? Because that is what you should expect. Do you see any evidence of that? And what about if you are a follower of Jesus here today? What does this passage say to you? If through Jesus, right, you've been adopted into God's family, like that passage told us, if through that adoption you've received this Holy Spirit within, what does it say? It says, as a result, it says, be fruitful. Pursue this inside-out change that is now possible. And don't get caught up with outside-in rules, trying to fix it. Work on the inside. The metaphor our writer uses here is fruit. Think about this. Fruit grows from a seed. We might say the spirit is kind of like that seed inside of us. It's not a full capture, but it gives you some idea. It's like latent potential. Like there's latent potential in a seed. You ever held an apple seed? There's the potential in that seed for a tree covered in fruit, in that tiny seed. But the potential stays locked up unless you feed it the right conditions, unless you put it in the right environment. See, take a look at this. Who knows what these are? You know what these are? But who knows which dates these are in particular? Ah. There's a cool story here. Um, this is a very special set of fruit on a very special plant. Uh, it's so special it even has a name. This is called the Methuselah plant. And the, what's special about this plant is the seed that it was grown from uh, is a seed that was found in an archaeological dig at a site that hadn't been touched since the 6th century BC. So it's a 26th century old seed. Stayed there dormant, laying on the floor. Somebody managed to give that seed the right conditions. It grew and it produced all this fruit. The potential that had been patiently waiting finally comes out. Now the seed, the spirit within you, if you're a follower of Jesus, the spirit within you has the potential, the power to transform you from the inside out. But the potential can stay locked up. It only produces fruit given the right conditions, right? That's kind of what we've been reading about in the last few weeks. We read commands to use your freedom. That's about providing the right conditions. We read a command to walk by the Spirit. We read a command to be led by the Spirit. We called a command, do not do whatever you want. Our inside-out transformation flows from an active choice, an act of the will using this newfound power inside of you. You've got a new freedom we've been talking about. Chapter 5 in Galatians talks about freedom again and again. You've got this new freedom to choose, to choose what the spirit desires, not what the flesh desires, which is in conflict with us. You have been set free by Jesus, and now you need to choose to use that freedom, choose between competing desires. And that choosing is all about character. It's all about who we are inside. That's what helps us choose. That's what guides us. Choosing to have the same character that we see in Jesus. Love. What's love laying down your life for your friends? Know anyone who did that? Joy. Jesus is filled with joy. Peace. 
forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Choosing to keep in step with the Spirit, since it is his very own Spirit, the Spirit of his Son is how it's described in that passage in Galatians 4, is keeping in step with Jesus. It's his Spirit that's inside of us. It reveals his righteous desires. So what does the flesh desire? What does the Spirit desire in the moment? Can you tell which is which? Can you feel the Spirit's desire at all? Do you know those competing desires inside of you? Can you choose the way you want to go? When you know by the Spirit what love is or what kindness looks like in this situation, can, can you do it? Can you use your freedom to work on that? Now, I think the metaphor of fruit has got one more thing to show us too before we finish today, and that is that fruit doesn't just pop up on the tree. Tomato plant, tomatoes looking a little bit green. I mean, you could eat them, but you don't really want to. When you, when you germinate a seed, when you provide it with the right conditions, what you don't get the next day is fruit. What you get the next day gradually, gradually is the beginnings of a root growing out, the beginnings of a shoot growing up. Growth is gradual still. Growth is progressive. I don't think it's an accident that the writer used fruit here, something all of us are familiar with, something we know doesn't pop out of the seed right away. I think he wants us to accept these virtues, this internal change, the fruit of the Spirit that we're talking about, are something that grows slowly. They grow little by little through a whole season of life. Growing the Spirit, I read somewhere, was like growing a muscle. You've all got some muscly fiber on you. I was looking around thinking, how muscly are we looking this morning? You've all got some muscly fiber, but I am, I'm, I'm told if we want our muscles to grow, we have to actually use them, I'm reliably told. We have to exercise if we really want to build muscle, sadly. That's true of virtue. That's true of character, too. We have to exercise faith, believe that through the Spirit, we have everything we need. We have this newfound freedom to actually choose and then work for it. So I want you not to be discouraged if you feel like progress is slow. Fruit grows slowly, but it's sure. Think about, think about the plant growing up through a concrete floor. Have you seen those sorts of pictures. It's amazing how powerful this can be, even though it seems impossible for you to change where your patience is or where your self-control is. Now, the Spirit is the seed that has the power to grow the character that will break through even those sorts of things. So I want to encourage you to encourage your brothers and sisters when you see growth in them, when you see change in them. See, this gradual change is often really hard to notice. It's really hard to observe when you're close up. Think about children growing I think about children growing. Um, if you're a parent and you see your child every day, they look basically the same size. Don't really notice, right? But if you have a visitor from afar who pops in every year, they're like, look how much they've grown. You're like, they haven't grown at all. They look exactly the same as yesterday. You don't notice gradual progress. And as we work to grow our character, to become more like Jesus, it's gradual progress, and you may not notice it. But I tell you what, people who dip into your lives might see and be able to encourage you by saying, I have seen in you this growth, this change. So when you see that sort of inside-out change, when you see the character of Jesus reflected, tell them, because it can be such an encouragement to know, yeah, I really do have that superpower inside of me. It is slow, but the fruit's growing. Can I encourage you this week? Be on a special lookout. Encourage one another. God is at work changing us. 
and it's an inside-out change. Just a few seconds to reflect, uh, and then I'll pray, and we're going to sing. Lord God, thank you that you don't discard us, but even though we were broken and twisted, you have a plan and a solution. That at great cost, you rescue us from our past and our captivity, and that in great love, you come and live inside of us, give us freedom. Now, Lord, I pray you'd help us to use that freedom. Lord, changing ourselves, changing our character is slow going. Uh, it can be discouraging often. Progress feels very small. Please, would you encourage us and help us to encourage one another? Help us to see and notice change in ourselves and others. To celebrate what you've done, to give you the glory for it, and to encourage one another that it's actually happening. We know this takes work, it takes choice. We talked about running a race. We talked about using our freedom. We talked about walking uh, by the Spirit. We know it takes active choice. So, Lord, I pray this would be a week where our active choices would be to use this newfound freedom.